Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. I'm so excited for our guest today because we kind of live in some of this same world a little bit. Like he's an amazing photographer and has some online courses and does some group coaching, which is amazing. And we're going to get into some really, really high level stuff that a lot of you have actually been asking about. We have a lot of clients asking about it too. And I asked him and he's like, yes, last year was the best year with NFTs. And I'm like, okay, I know that's not on our list to talk about, but let's talk about that today. (laughs) So I'm totally going rogue here. But before we even talk about that, I would like for you to share, because we've been chatting, but for anyone listening or watching, a little bit about your journey, a little bit about your background, and how have you gotten to where you are today? My name is Jason. I am a photographer slash artist. Sometimes I don't know what is the proper designation, but I started with photography. Like People ask, like, when did I start photography? So if you're asking when I picked up a camera, 2006, right? But I started photography as a business in 2012, and I was pretty much full-time by 2014. And um, I think this is one of your questions, but I'll just go straight into it. It's like, how did I start? How did I make the transition? Because I'm ex-military. So like between 2006 and 2011, I was in the Air Force building bombs and missiles. Um, And then I got out, and it's not a very uh, civilian-oriented job description, right? Like there's about three places in the country that I can do that and half a dozen overseas. Uh, so I, uh, I kind of, I went to school and I got my bachelor's in business and my master's in, in organizational leadership. Um, so I have a little bit of psychology in, in that degree too, but I couldn't get hired. So people ask like, how did I get into photography? It's like, cause I didn't have another choice. You know, this was the only thing that was making me money when yeah. I was in college and my bachelor's. And then I went to get my master's because I couldn't get a job with the bachelor's. And then I still couldn't get a job with the master's. And in the meantime, in the middle, photography as a business was like my third attempt at business. My first attempt was uh, this thing with my dad. My, the second attempt was being a professional day trader. And then the the third attempt, which was this. And um by that time, I was kind of scoping like what was actually needed to be a photographer, and and how could I do it better than everyone else? Like this, that was that's my mm-hmm. thing. Like I became whatever level I am at photography. You can decide when you see my work if I'm shit or not. But I um, <laughs> I would go to the beach in Hawaii, and I would because I, I moved to Hawaii after I got out of the military, which pretty much saved my life. But I went there, and I would go to the beach, and there'd be photographers lined up like people with cameras, I call them. So lined up all down and taking the same damn picture. So I'd be there and just, how can I make something different? And that's sort of how I fell into this cycle of 
trying to analyze what I'm doing and trying to get better. So um, that's, I guess that's the short story, right? Today, so I do photography, I sell large format pieces. I do art shows like Art Basel and Art Expo New York. And then I do um, NFTs now as well. So that's, a, and I teach a course called The Art of Selling Art, which is, a, it's not just for photographers, but it, there's, there are a lot of photographers in there, but it's a business course on art. Um, That's awesome. I, I didn't warn you in our pre-talk, but I have a tendency to talk a lot. So no, uh, if okay. you don't mind, yeah, let's, let's yeah, go. It's all good. It's good. all good. <laughs> so pivot, like just, I was married to someone who was the military for a hot mo moment and I did not come from the military family. So I didn't really know what I was signing up for. And it's a FaceTime and texting, like none of the zoom, none of that stuff existed back then. And so it was really hard to like, just communicate. And so there was a lot of like misunderstandings. And I mean, it just, it didn't work out, but I know that it was really challenging. Like when he came home and like trying to get integrated back into like, yeah. like exactly what you said, life, it was, it was hard. It was stressful. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're like operating at such a high level, you know, fighting for our country. And then, and you know, exactly the mission that you're on, at least the people that I've been around in the military, which God love them, we need them so much, but you know, it's not for everybody. And then it, when, if you get out or you're discharged or whatever, it's just like, what do you do? And so that's where, you know, military versus creative, it's just so different. And so I'm interested to know, like, from your mindset perspective, how did you pivot and really find yourself that like, okay, the military, I'm good with that. Like, let's move on to creative because it's so different. They tell you exactly what to do, everything usually, um, or there's a very clear roadmap on safety and how to protect whatever you're protecting. How, how did you make that shift? Uh, well, for starters, the photography thing started while I was in the military. I was stationed okay. in North Pole and I started taking pictures, right? Because I could, okay. couldn't afford to go home. It was so far away and flights are so expensive. So there was that, but um, there's a there's a little bit of competitive nature in me. So mm -hmm. when I was in the military, I, I was a subject matter expert on what we did. Like that was my designation, subject matter expert. So I was seven level doing and teaching the stuff I was doing, which set me aside. Like I was always a loner, but then I got into the military and then they put me in these jobs where I was more of a loner. So in the military, so one of the things you touched on is we have this tribe family mentality. And when you get out, you miss that. Like any person I talked to yeah. a few months after getting out, they've, they've lost how to be, they've lost the family. And totally. um, I had a head start on that because they kept ostracizing me while I was in the military. So they would put me in positions where I was the only one um, and, and in a confrontational spot doing at, at odds. So I was in QA. So I was doing a lot of like, I have to show up and make sure everything was good. But I, the people in my job description usually showed up and looked for things that were wrong. Right? They, two different ways of approaching the same thing. So anyway, I was already alone, right? So I was already used to mm -hmm. being alone. And um, when I got out of the military and I went to Hawaii and I was had all that, that stress and things I was dealing with and uh, being able to focus on something um, and look at it as a challenge helped me I guess, redirect my energy. So that helped a lot. Um, 
I, I don't know when the transition happened. It didn't really seem hard for me. I, I, there was a while where it just took a while to, to believe that I could do it. Because we, we grew up where media was not a real job. Like creating right. visual content was not a real job. Artists were rare in the success stage because people weren't, nowadays consume everything, right? Everything is a visual con consume, but so our families grew up telling us that we couldn't be artists. So my first few years as being an artist was me trying to convince and prove to my family that this was a real thing that I could make money at. Um, oh. So that the, the transition from that was one, believing it myself and two, proving it. And, and luckily I was able to, to do both. And when I was in the military, I used I started out taking pictures with this point and shoot, a Canon ST750 or 600 or whatever. Mm -hmm. The freaking thing was so expensive back then, but you can get them for like a hundred bucks now. Uh, and I would take these photos and everyone would be like, oh, this is amazing. You could sell this, right? So I, I started out, I guess, with a little bit of an idea that this was possible. Okay. But no one who ever said that I could sell a photo back then owns a photo of mine now. So really, <laughs> I, I, I don't have, I don't have any collectors who were friends first. Like my collectors are friends now, but I don't uh -huh. have any like people I grew up with who, who own a piece of my work. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't buy it when it was $200 and they won't buy it now when it's 10,000. So, right. um, so that was an interesting transition I had to make. You can't sell to your friends. Mm -mm. Um, I think that was a wandering answer, but the, I, I, I get asked that a lot and I don't know where the mind shift came from. I also don't approach photography as art, you know, and okay. that's like the business side. Like it's, there's creative and then there's business. And I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. So doing photography as a business or being selling something as a business, it's just a business. And that's how I approach it. The, the part that gives me food, right? The other mm -hmm. part is the art side. And that gets, that's like 4% of what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you hear, you know, follow your passion, the money will come. And like, it just doesn't fall in your lap. Like people don't just show up. Like you have to make an effort to have a strategy and mm -hmm. otherwise it's, it's never going to work. So I want to go back real quick though, because you said something that is important that I want anybody listening or watching to really pay attention to, because you said you felt like you wanted to prove to your family that like what you were doing, like you could make a living at it. And I mean, I found that challenge too, because when I talked to my parents, I'm like, yeah, I quit healthcare and I'm going to go on tour and plan these weddings. And my dad's like, have you fallen out of your bed and hit your head? Like mm -hmm. you had a good job, you have insurance, you have a 401k, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I can always go back if this shit doesn't work out. Like, but when you follow the passion, but then, but what I learned, like my biggest challenge was my family and friends because they did, they had never done what I was trying to do. So why, why the hell am I going to them? You and know, they never seen it work. Never. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, so how did you get over that because I know for me it, it was it took years and I'd have a business coach who looked at me and said quit having the conversation with your family and you don't owe them anything and I'm like yeah. they're just concerned you know and he's like they've never done what you what you're trying to do so quit asking and he's like when they bring it up just don't don't discuss it 
and you know, it did help a little bit, but it sucks sometimes, right? Because if you're at the top of your game in something and, you know, we're in these magazines and we're working on these great clients and it looks so glamorous, it really isn't. It's lonely at the top, especially when you don't have anyone to celebrate it with, like within your family, who's happy for you, you know? So then that's a whole nother side of it. But what was it for you where you're like, okay, what I'm doing is enough for me and I don't need to prove myself to my family anymore. I, like I said, I was a loner. So I was a loner from when I was a kid mm-hmm. and the, the need for their approval was already pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. So um, I was already self-sufficient, right? Ex-military mm-hmm. or I was in the military and I, I didn't go home. Like I hadn't been home for like 10 years. Oh, so wow. I was already really separated from Got it. their influence. And then the, the loner part, like the, so when you talk about your family not approving of you, right, what you're kind of getting into is the imposter syndrome, right, mm-hmm. where their approval is what you need. So you don't feel like you are living up to a standard or a cultural thing that you grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're enough of a jerk, you can just say, I don't care. Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of where I got to really early. Like the mm-hmm. whole imposter syndrome thing ended up, the solution to it was, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, my family cared what the result of my efforts were, but they didn't care just like nobody else cared about my thoughts about my efforts. Because mm-hmm. they only see it from the outside. So like, if you if I feel like I don't believe I can do this, or I don't believe I'm good enough for this, then it's like, wait, nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares how I feel they are they, all they see is the out the end product. So yeah, that's the only thing that you need to concern yourself about. So you, you, I had a bit of a buffer because when I was in, I was in Afghanistan in 2008 when the market mm-hmm. crashed. So I was making all this extra money, right? You, you, you don't pay for anything and then you get paid a little bit of combat stuff, right? And I was investing. Mm-hmm. And I started out my really entrepreneur in trading. Well, I started out as an investor until I got out of the military. Then I started trading and I had to go through this phase of, convincing or trying to convince my parents that I don't have to sweat and get dirty to make a living. Right. right? Those things don't, what is it called? Effort is not scalable. Right. Right. Yes. Yep. So, yep. and that was something so I really had, to, had to learn. And, and by the time I accepted it, I was already failing at trading, but, um, but yep. it, it was a buffer between being an artist and being in, and doing a, um, and get out of the military was just this coming to terms with the fact that I cannot put in more hours to make more money. There's a limit. So I'd, I'd never convinced them that that was a solution. That might be one of the reasons I failed because I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my own head that what I was doing was a real way to make money. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I was probably underpinning failure on myself, right? What, what is that called? Self-sabotage? Because yes. I, I couldn't get it into my head that I didn't need to sweat to make money. I didn't need to put things together and come up with a, a product at the end. I, I could trade mm-hmm. and, and make an income. Um, so by the time I, I was done doing that, the uh, photography was just an extension. Yeah. The, well, to your point, like my whole point of just like reiterating is 
stop worrying about what everyone else thinks about you. And as soon as you quit caring and then people who are judging, if they've never done it, they have no right. (laughs) But for some reason, some people really like to judge and tell you what to do and how to do it, but they've never done it. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh, it just, it drives me crazy sometimes. So let's get into like the fun stuff. So pandemic happens, you know, we're coming out of it, depending on when you listen or watch this podcast, but how did your business completely shift and change? So I think economically the the pandemic happened in different stages. Um, The beginning of the pandemic saw people out of work, but my target market, not out of income. So I, I was entering a market who was, who couldn't go out and couldn't spend their money in person, but we're looking at something to spend for. Mm-hmm. So every client who I thought who was spending money on other stuff and putting art to the side now had time and to put, to devote to looking at this product that I create. Um, so I went after that in the marketing terms. And what, what changed was I used to do local art fairs and big expos. So I live in Bellevue, Washington, and the demographic of the people who are, are affluent, like they have enough money to spend on art, which, I mean, if you're looking and trying to figure out demographics, people need 5% of their income to spend on whatever they want, right? And that 5% has to be enough to buy a piece for me. So that's my demographic is right there. So I could go to a local fair and do 20, 30K or extend that to 40, 50K in six or seven months by follow-ups and whatnot. And that would support my business. So do a few of those a year and then go to like Art Expo New York and and do something like that with bigger audience and expansion. So my business was based on in-person interaction and follow-up, but then I couldn't do that anymore. But those people are still out there. So it was just, who am I trying to sell to and where are they? And one of my, one of my friends reframed this idea for me just like last week. He's like, where are people going to solve their problems? Show up there. Right? Yeah, makes sense. So with social media marketing, like Facebook is the biggest aggregator of information. And you can, you can put in an income, a demographic, a zip code, a behavior, and then show up in front of those people. Mm-hmm. And then you have to show up and show up and show up. Like one of the things I had to realize is that like you and I created a rapport in five, six, seven minutes when we were talking, right? You could see my yep. face, you can hear my tone and, and whatnot. Online, that doesn't really happen. It, it takes 30, 40 interactions with your content in order to get to know you. So my business strategy went from product marketing, which is me showing up at shows and here, look at my shit, right? To, yep. to brand marketing, this is me, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And you can also look at my shit. And once people yeah. get to know you, then they can buy you. So it, it turned in from a 20 minute interaction and a purchase to a three, four months marketing, repeating, showing up so that people can buy your stuff. Um, and what you said repetitively is showing up consistently. And when you're consistent, again, over and over and over, when people are ready, you're there. And if you're not there when they're ready, they're going to buy from someone else. Yes. And that's also really important to, so you can divide your buyers up to a spectrum, right? Like a pyramid where at the top, they're ready to buy, they're problem aware and solving their problem. And then at the 
the middle section, they are not problem aware, right? So you have to show up to those people. Like 3% of the people are ready to buy. And if you show up to them, they don't know who you are. Right. You're just a piece of pretty pixels. And, you know, people buy who people buy the artist or people work with the consultant that they like, or they go to the store whose brand they approve of. So if they drive by a store that has the stuff they want, but they've never heard about it, they're not going to go in the store. They're going to drive another mile and go to Michael's to buy their art supplies. Yep. Um, so like all of the artists that I talk to, they always, they're, they're doing buy now ads. They're showing up to the 3% who have no connection to them when they need to be showing up to the people who don't know they need a piece of art, who don't see their empty walls. They live in this space. They don't see their empty walls until they do. And then you're part of their growth into understanding that that's something they could buy. Um, Which is so okay. neat. How did you get into the whole NFT thing though? Was it after the pandemic? Like, what did you study? Like, how did you learn how to do that? I learned by trial and error. But what happened was, is I, I started seeing about it on the news, right? Um, and I teach, I teach artist selling art, which isn't a business course for artists. So I'm like, okay, well, here's a market that's happening. They're going to have questions about it. So I need to go learn it. Which, is, which has been, you know, artists and art has been like a cycle where I learn stuff and try stuff just because I know that people either want to try it and want to learn it. And then if it's useful, I, I tell them how I did it. Right? So I started from an article and just said, fuck it, I'll try it. Yeah. And, and, um, and went from there. And what I found was a brand new art market that I that allows me to do things I wanted to do that I couldn't do as a physical market. So like I sell, I made a living on landscapes. I sell landscape photography. So if you go to my website, there's like mm -hmm. the, the ice, the tree, the ice cave and the tree of fire and my Ted it's talk so is all, all landscape. Right. And for, this is, I guess, part of the growth story for, for me. Right. I, when I started photography, what I wanted to do was really cool portraits and fantasy art. And what I found was, a money hole that I can just pour money into and time and effort and not get anything out of it. Uh, and then some of my early work got picked up in like your shot, National Geographic stuff. And then I created this whole audience of people that I felt like I had an audience I had to serve and I just kept going with the landscape. So to 2008 or 2018, I started creating the portraits that I want to do. Like if you go to the Aria collection on my, on my site, like mm -hmm. those are like story driven fine art portraiture, um, highly based in psychology and introspection. And that's where I wanted to go with the art. Still really difficult. Like the niche audience for that is like 30 to 55 year old women who are single entrepreneurs and bosses. Like those are the only people who buy those. I, they're, they're, if you're not watching, looking at my website, those are their nude photographs, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're not really nude. There's not, they're unrevealing nudes artistically done right in a no, they're beautiful the way that you like the way that you see it i'm right. looking but, at it <laughs> yeah thanks so pretty. but um so so but the market for them is women right the market of them is, mm -hmm. is middle-aged women uh so it's super niche but then nfts come and what i found was uh at the time i was like i was really early i was in february 2021 um landscape photography wasn't selling it was all really creative stuff, like really 
avant-garde and very um like behance stuff like different kind of art i don't know what i'm trying to say right now yeah and that's the stuff i wanted to do like if you go to the nft tab on my website um uh-huh. and then go to the guardians season two mm-hmm. then you'll see like that's the stuff i had wanted to do for a long time the concept for those guardians happened in 2012 and i just wasn't able to make it in 2012 and then by the time i started to get into business then i realized there was no market for it so i didn't put any time into it but now mm-hmm. again like now i now there's um like there's a collection of 10 there's only four released on that page but um which can go we can talk about business model and nfts but um what, what i found is an audience that didn't know what art was that was buying art oh interesting and like in spaces and in talking to people, their first time ever buying art was an NFT. And they had, and these are people spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on art who have bare walls in their home because they never looked at art and said, I want that, or that means something to me, or that tingles me in a, in a place that I wasn't tingled before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I still put up the landscapes they don't move as fast, but I'm creating this fantasy stuff, this story-driven fantasy work. Mm-hmm. And that has an audience that I never had before. So um, so that's what I found. I, I found I found an, uh, an audience that didn't have, and there's some people who might get offended of it. They didn't have the intellectual sophistication to look at art the way I would approach and sell art to an art buyer. So, yeah. but because it's an intersection of art and finance, and what people are looking at when they when they got there was how can I make money off of this JPEG instead of how do I collect this thing because I love it. So mm-hmm. my personal battle with NFTs is to create art collectors out of NFT buyers, and it's not been the most successful thing, but it's working. It's going, and yeah. it's it's an interesting thing. Like I'm often like chagrined at this idea that. I should make a 10,000 profile picture project because people would buy it versus the guardians, which are selling slow, right? Yeah. Um, because people are more apt to spend 40, 50 bucks, $100 on a PFP profile picture than they are to invest in a piece of art because they want to flip it. They want to buy it and then sell it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that audience is coming, is, is people who are appreciating art and who are starting to want to buy and own fine art um yeah. so i think i'm doing a longer approach to the to this game but or a longer term approach to community building for people who want to buy my work and i am mostly doing it on the cardano network that's awesome i just i don't think and if anybody gets offended you know that you say how it is like intellectually like I'm learning, like the older I get, the more I'm learning about it. And especially like if we have clients, like if we did their wedding or something and, you know, they're into art or they're artists or they're photographers. And, um, you know, I learn new stuff all the time about how to appreciate it. I never really got into it or really understood it. And, you know, the older I get and the more life experience I get and the more I travel all over the world and like, it's almost like you have to be in the right mindset to be able to take in the information to really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And unless like 
you grew up with parents that really appreciated art. I just, I don't know that I know many people who are just so into it on their own until they discover the love for it when they're doing something. But I don't, do you, do you see that, that people who don't understand it or appreciate it, like they're just not there yet. It's because they're not educated at all on it. Yes. It's kind of like poetry, like trying to get people to understand or even like, or to make it through a whole poem. Yeah. There's a certain amount of empathy that has to be that you have to have the ability to apply to an inanimate object, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to give life to, you give life to the piece of art, right? Like an artist can create something meaningful, but only if you can understand the context of it. So in order to be able to give yourself time to give the confidence, to, to understand the context, there has to be something in you, like, like a door that has to be opened that allows you to look at a piece of art and say and and put your own feelings on it but they say a piece of a picture tells a thousand words right but they're not your words like if i take a picture and put on the wall and someone gives a thousand words they're not they're not quoting me it's their own thing reflected at them and being able to receive that reflection or see it for what it is is a life skill i suppose and i think it's based on empathy which I've never thought about this before, but I, this is my assumption right now. So I think it's yeah. based on being, and that's, um, so, so before NFTs, I never really encountered many people who didn't have that, who mm-hmm. weren't already, because that's the crowd I ran in, right? Those are the people I networked with and the people I showed up in front of. Um, but now I do, and it's not, it, it's a lack of exposure and a lack of other people shaping your thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's happening for a lot of people now in NFTs. They're they're starting to they're getting exposed to art through this one bullshit thing called PFPs, right? Yeah. Which that's, that's how I feel about it. And um, and then it's an entry way or entry drug into other things. And not everybody is adopting art because they got into the NFTs. It's it's not a universal transition because a lot of them are just like, I want to flip NFTs or I want access to this yacht club party, right? Um, other than that, it doesn't mean anything to them, but some people are, some people are seeing and hearing stories, relating stories to something visual and then finding a reflection and a meaning in it. So that's um, that's what I see happening. I think I just, I love it. It's so cool. I'm more into art now because I'm, a tech geek and I'm like digital art okay I need to learn more about this like what exactly does this mean but that's because I'm I'm interested in technology like personally so it's gotten me more into learning about it um listen Should to Gary break down what an entity is yo yeah d- yes yeah because I mean we're, we're talking yes um yeah so uh so nft non-fungible token right Non-fungible meaning that everyone is its own unique item. Um, but, w- but what is an NFT? Like you have to understand what blockchain is, which is a ledger of all transactions on a public on a public ledger. Uh, okay, I'm gonna do this in like two minutes because I know we have a limited time. Um, 
the, the whole idea revolves around ownership. So you can own baseball cards, right? Or Hot Wheel cars. And I can look at your Hot Wheel car collection and not think twice about it because it's just colored pieces of metal, right? Mm -hmm. Or baseball cards in a piece of plastic. But you like them because you own them. They're important to you, right? And, and here I am. I'm, one of the big pushes in, in the NFT world is um, female inclusion. And here I am talking about everything from man's perspective. So maybe uh, my, my girlfriend collects and like really values the makeup she gets, like the tools and the brushes and like some are better than others and she doesn't want to use them because they're special, right? Same thing, like I don't care about that, but it's something that she owns that she can say is hers, mm -hmm. right? And that's all, that's all digital ownership is, is our innate desire to own something and its value to us. But what NFTs allows us to do is to get that value from other people. So you can go right click and save one of my photos, but you can't sell it. You don't own it. If you buy my NFT, you can sell it and make money on it, right? It's, yeah. it's a tangible asset that has a recursive income or recurrable yeah. income. You know, like those angels you were looking at, Mm -hmm. The floor on those or the, the lower price on them mm -hmm. um, on season one is like 10 sales away from being a thousand ADA, wow. right, which is $800. And the people who own that got own season one, got it as a gift. So there's like 900 of them that went out. They got it as an airdrop or a, or a perk of owning a different NFT. So they mm -hmm. got it for nothing basically, or as a part of their investment in another NFT project, mm -hmm. they can turn around and sell it for damn near a thousand dollars at the moment, right? Wow. Um, so they own it, but if you right click save that, you can't you can't sell it. You don't own it. Um, yeah. So NFTs in relation to art is is that, but NFTs on blockchain represent so much more. Right? NFTs will become our digital identity. They will they will become um, proof of ownership of anything tangible or digital. So when we talk about selling art, we're talking about uh, a financial asset coded onto the blockchain that is referenceable and transferable. So I, I hope that breaks it down enough. Yeah, I've taken a couple, I'm in an entrepreneur organization and we have a group of people that are learning about like NFTs. I mean, we've been doing it the whole time, the pandemic. And um the visuals that the guy who teaches it that uses you know like the little chain and, and the ledger and but it's like visually I had to see it before I could like really understand it mm. and but you did a great job like explaining it but how I like had to explain it to my mother is like buying a concert ticket and then when you go in to a conference you know they would click the little thing or whatever that and scan it in and but exactly what you're saying I mean that's what Gary V did to get into his conference is you had to buy an NFT which you had to get into cryptocurrency which you had to get a wallet which yeah I had to learn about blockchain but I wanted to go but I could turn around and flip it and make the money back so I know that that's probably some people's intention in terms of like investing in it it's just it's so neat. Like, I'm so glad that we live during this time so that people who are creating art, like you can, people can't steal your shit basically, which is 
really good because I know it's been like a major problem, um, you know, online of a JPEG or a PNG or, you know, whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. it's all like very fascinating that it protects the intellectual property. It does. It's important. It's important. I have a, so I have a blockchain and NFT 101 through 201 that uh I can give you the link to, and you can share it with everyone. It's on YouTube. And I did it, I did it the way you described, like instead of doing a presentation with slides, I connected my iPad and I drew it out like it was a chalkboard. So like That's I'm awesome. sitting in my sister's office, I'm visiting her right now, right? Uh-huh. And I, when we were talking about learning about blockchain NFTs, I said, first thing I asked her is, do you have a whiteboard? Mm-hmm. Cause that's how I was gonna break it down, like schoolroom. Cause you, you know, you gotta teach how your audience wants to learn. Um, but I think that's the best way to learn it. It's like, yeah. this is a blockchain, I drew a chain. This is, this is decentralization and this is centralization. And this is the difference between the two and then break it down until you get to NFTs. Um, that might be something people are interested in yeah that could be a whole different podcast (laughs) (laughs) this is awesome though like I just I I mean I could talk about it all day I'm just again like fascinated about like where it's going and then some of some people I know they're they're just they're not risk takers and they're like you're crazy and blah blah I was like that's fine you like you can think that you know but when you're a risk taker sometimes things work and sometimes they don't but if you don't take the risk you'll never know if it works you don't win if you don't play. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So if people want to connect with you, where should they go? So my website is jasonmatias.com. If you're an artist looking for the artist selling art, there's a blue bar at the top. And I put a, I broke down and put a link in the, in the thing for a TASA, right? So artist selling art, the awesome. artist selling art or TASA. But all of my art is there. My TED talk is on the about page. So like, that's like a 10 minute, get to know me really fast um, and get to see some of my work. And then I spend most of my time on Twitter now. So I'm real Jason Matias on Twitter. And shoot, reach me a DM, join my Discord. That's basically where I live right now. That's awesome. Another Gary V thing that I've learned about. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Community management. Like I think we started out this and we were going to talk about marketing and sales and whatnot, but it's all yeah. about how do you uh how do you manage your community and, and the people who are interested in you? Mm-hmm. You know, so um social media that lives on an algorithm an algorithm just doesn't cut it Mm-mm. because you can't connect. Like the most yep. engaged Twitter accounts have eight percent engagement. Right. So if you have a hundred thousand people, you reach eight thousand of them tops. Yes. You don't that, and that would audience. be phenomenal. That would be absolutely phenomenal. But mm-hmm. in general, it's three to five percent, or if or, or if you're me, like two to three percent if I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on Discord, you have a captive audience as long as they come to your Discord, which is all mm-hmm. about incentivizing them to be there. But yeah, um, Discord is a major part of my life right now. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, we'll have to talk about that again, another pot. I'm like making all these notes. I'm like, this could be another one and another one. Yeah. I'm, we're constantly preaching like social media is great for leads, but like, if you don't own your audience and if there's not some type of a customer journey or a cycle and you're sending people and you lose people and people wonder, they're like, there's no ROI on online social media. There's no, and I'm like, because there's no clear path. (laughs) So how, you know, it's just people are missing some of the links uh, that connect all of these things. So that would be another good one on community. 
that would be great. Thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. And we'll put all the links in the show notes for everybody to check it out. You guys have to go check out his website and check out the pictures. Like they're, they're really beautiful. And if you're watching or listening, thank you so much for your time and be sure to tune in next week to another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights. And I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.